Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Got a short weekend episode for you. I did an episode a little bit longer on six listener questions, and I think people seem to like that. It suggested that there'd be a variety of coverage in the episode. That's exactly what I just have accumulated. I'm starting to get more questions, which doesn't mean quit sending them. It means I'm, I'm going to pick the questions that have some nuance because some of the questions seem to be asking similar questions to what was asked before. I'm going to try to answer them in a different way to give you some fresh information. Again, I thank you for the questions. They're coming from all different directions and uh, keep sending them. The easiest way for me is to avoid any uh, intermediaries. Just send me an email at drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. So thanks sponsors, Topps Panini, Upper Deck, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Compsy.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, and Huggins Scott Auctions. Okay, first question. When I've had these uh, modern and vintage convos, some of those generate questions within the episode, and then some of them generate questions from the follow-up. There was a question about fractionals. And basically, I, I need to answer the question in a different way, and that is that I'm actually a fan of fractionals. I think they're going to evolve as we go, but many of the questions I'm getting, especially this one I'm looking at right now, was asking questions that clearly are going to be answered in the FAQs for the particular fractional group that you're interested in. They're regulated by the SEC for the most case. So the transparency you may be concerned about, it's going to be one of the most transparent things that you could find. You have a choice to get in or get out and also some regulation. They're doing two things. What you're paying for this intermediary is to source the asset, to find something that they think is worthy and to price it in a way that you're going to be willing to buy shares. Then they're going to make a market in those shares. Again, these are things you could do for yourself, but concern, two things. Number one, when you have these fractionals where the owner is retaining equity, then you're going to have less control as a uh, minority shareholder as to whether or not that asset gets sold. Now, you can sell within their platform. And the other concern I have is that I think there's a danger if the fractionals move too far down market to cards that are more easily accessible. As long as you're talking about million dollar cards, 99.9% .9 of the collectors are thinking, hey, I think a fraction of that is, is what I can afford. But if, if it becomes too pedestrian, not a good thing in my mind. A second question, how do you get cards from a distributor if you want to open up a store? You talk to GTS and other distributors, um, get your references ready. You could talk to the card companies, get some photographic proof of if you don't have the store yet, but you have a location. Like I said, any references from people you've done business with that would say that this is a store. Uh, I would follow Mike Fruitman and other uh, dealers who are very vocal about uh, helping card shops get going, and I applaud that. I'm really hopeful that we're going to see a flurry of store openings. I just watched this documentary of the last Blockbuster, and everything they were talking about the Blockbuster was true about card stores. There used to be a lot of card stores. Now there are not as many. There's certainly more than one left, but I think it's a great place to congregate with your own uh, people. Third question, how do I determine who gets a tribute, who doesn't, and how the tributes are done, who I do them with, who I do them about? I'll just say, it's my choice. It's my podcast. But Bobby Brown died, the you know former American League president and ex-Yankee third baseman who did not have a long career, but uh, highly respected in every way. Was a cardiologist, lived in Fort Worth, has relatives in the Dallas area, a wonderful person. And he died at the age of 96, which is, my dad will be 96 next year. So again, an extraordinary guy. He did not have a long career. He doesn't have that many cards, but a guy that was really exemplary and worthy of a tribute, but I had just done the one and didn't. So my apologies to the Brown family 
And okay, a fourth question. When I quizzed the guys in the convos recently about budgeting for their collection, whether it's vintage or modern, most of them addressed it, and I couched it in terms of a financial budget. But I, I got a question or a comment from somebody at the card show, but that budgeting time can be an, an, an additional consideration for with your hobby. Frankly, the more time you spend, does that mean the more money you spend anyway? And I liken that to something that I do to some extent, and that is one strategy of dieting or weight control is called time-restricted eating. It says it doesn't matter as much what you eat, uh, how much you eat, or where you eat, but when you eat. So if you restrict the time, your times of eating to eight or nine hours a day, a window of time, not that you're gonna pig out, but if you are eating with a time restriction, what if your collecting is time restricted? I'm not saying nine hours a day restricted card collecting, but if your month, or I, I used to go one weekend a month, I'd go to a card show. That's a form of restriction. I really look forward to that once a month, getting out and going to a show. And that's just a way. So again, the question is, how do you rein yourself in this hobby when it's a bull market and you're excited and it's hard to say no? Well, maybe restricting your time or you don't go to a show every weekend. You don't go to the card shop every day. You pick your spots, you do some time restriction. Getting back to the eating analogy is that maybe you need to fast, a sports card fast, uh, skip a meal every once in a while. Okay, fifth question, and that was about the kind of childhood regrets. One of the guys that wrote in, he said, he seemed to be more talking about the regret that kids have that their moms threw away their cards. But this guy was pretty bitter. He said, you know what? I wish I'd had cards to have thrown away because I never got cards. He was pretty graphic in his email where, where he felt his parents were selfish, that they took care of themselves and he did not get proper consideration to uh, get uh, as many cards as he would have liked. I, I don't want to stick up for any particular parents, especially those I don't know, but parents have dilemmas of uh, how to spend money. And, but if parents are spending a lot of money on themselves and the kids are going without, that can be a problem. Again, I don't want to blame the parents. I don't, I don't know how many kids were involved here, but if you're a kid, and that's why the hobbies come back with a vengeance, is that kids that had that frustration of uh, their cards being thrown away or their cards not being worth as much or never getting as many in the first place, now they're back and they can't blame it on their parents now. If they want to buy cards, they'll you know, get some money and, and buy them. Hopefully don't borrow money to buy them, but get some. Okay, final question, number six. As it says, assuming your health permits and, and non-competes, you ever considered getting back into the hobby? Actually, I thought that's what I was doing, but is that if there was ever a time this would be a great time for you to return with a new grading company. <laughs> I think you'd be a great person to bring some credibility to an additional major grading company. And he says, maybe that's wishful thinking. Yes, it is wishful thinking. But then he says, but perhaps it would not be that difficult to assemble a team to make this happen. So number one, just to shoot it down, I'm not going to do that. When I have a great idea about grading new development, I share it with Jeremy Murray. <laughs> I tell Jeremy, and he likes some ideas and he doesn't like all of them. But there's a reason Nat Turner bought PSA instead of taking a lot less money and starting a new grading company. A new grading company is not easy. <laughs> and so Nat Turner, it's, it's possible we'll look back and, and see that he overpaid with that investor group for PSA. You can't assume that they're going to be having 10 million cards a year or whatever for decades to come. So final note, it is difficult to assemble a team to make it happen. It's even difficult to augment your team. PSA is hiring people as fast as they can. BGS is hiring people as fast as they can. But you can't go so fast to put untrained people in the line. The damage to the brand is to, uh, you just have to put good people 
in and you have to train them. So it would be difficult. And then the last point I'll make is that when I was in charge, we really tried not to poach or hire away people from other uh, related entities. We weren't trying to steal somebody else's employees. In order to do grading, you'd need to, you'd need to start out with some people and that's how CGS got started. They don't begrudge somebody hiring away, but I would prefer not to do that. And I think I would almost have to do that unless I came up with some fresh and new way to do grading, which I actually have come up with, but it may be too futuristic. So I'll leave that for another full episode. In the meantime, you're just going to have to make do with the, the grading companies that are out there. Uh, there will not be my involvement with some other new grading company. I want BGS to prosper for sure. And like I've said, I think that the other grading companies doing well, it can add to the strength of the, of the category. So thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. I'll be back again Monday with another uh, full episode.